Good morning, family. I'm excited to be starting into Matthew 1 and 2 with you this morning. And I just think when you, you start to read Matthew 1, especially, that it seems strange when you contrast it with the rest of the Gospels. So, for instance, John starts with claims that Jesus is God. Mark starts with Jesus' baptism and temptation. Luke starts with two miraculous births. Matthew, you get to his, and he starts with a list of people. You know, Stephen showed last week about the structure of Matthew and how amazing it is, but it almost feels like Matthew was struggling with writer's block and couldn't figure out where to start. So he said, well, let's start with a list of people. Maybe that'll give me something to start with. What I want to show you is, is that at least the way I used to read it, that's how I felt. It was just a list of people. But maybe there's a lot more there going on than what we normally are used to thinking about. So before we dive into that, let's remind ourselves that since we're doing Matthew 1 and 2 this morning, that Matthew 1 is going to have a lot of Genesis echoes. Matthew 2 is going to have some Exodus echoes. Again, just to remind ourselves that there aren't always these sharp lines where Matthew 1 will only have these certain types and Matthew 2 will have others. But there's going to be some sort of ebb and flow where those will, will come in and out of each other. But that's generally what we would expect. Matthew 1 will have Genesis. Matthew 2 will have some Exodus. So let's dive into it. So we'll start right off the bat with Matthew 1.1. Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So right off the bat, you get two people that's reminding us of, ex of extremely important covenants that were made with, with you know, historical characters in the Bible. And those characters aren't just minor characters, they're major characters. We're this morning going to focus specifically on Abraham. So the son of Abraham. And when we start thinking about Abraham's covenant, it reminds us of a couple of things. He's going to be the father of many nations. And he's also going to be the blessing to all the nations. That it won't just be some of the nations, it'll be all the nations. So before we keep going, it's important to understand how to read these genealogies, these boring lists that you that are throughout the Bible, that they're not just there only as uh, historical context, but there's more to them than that. So one of the things you want to do is notice the pattern. For instance, in this genealogy, it's father of Jacob, father of Boaz, and you get that same repetition, father of someone, over and over and over again. Then, once you've noticed the pattern, notice how the pattern is broken. For instance, then all of a sudden you have Zerah by Tamar, or Obed by Ruth. So you have these extra characters that are listed that aren't fathering anyone, they're doing something else. So what's going on here? Well, the four characters that stick out in this break of this type of pattern are four women. You've got Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. Now, Tamar, remember Tamar is the one that was married to Judah's sons way back in Genesis. You've got Rahab, who's the prostitute, who helps the spies as they enter and try to conquer Jericho. Ruth is the one who ends up marrying Boaz, and Bathsheba is the one that's seduced by David. So we've got four women, and if you're going to expect four women to be listed in the genealogies, these are definitely not the women you'd expect. For instance, you could have had Sarah or Rebecca, but no, we have these four. These seem like strange ones to be listed. So why these women? Well, Tamar and Rahab 
they're Canaanites. Ruth is a Moabite and Bathsheba, well, she's married to a Hittite. We don't know for sure what she was as to who, who she was, whether she was an Israelite or she was a Hittite. But we do know that by law, she'd be a Hittite because she's married to a Hittite. So really what we have are four Gentile women. All of these women are Gentiles. And that's a really interesting thing for us to be putting in and noticing in Matthew's genealogy. Well, this starts to remind us of First Chronicles. And if you can make it through the first couple of chapters of First Chronicles, you'll know they're, they're just genealogy after genealogy. First Chronicles 4 has to do with Judah's genealogy. And you get to see in the same way that Judah's genealogy is being restored over and over again by Gentiles because it was going to actually end if it wasn't for that. And so this is, again, sort of this reminder that David's genealogy comes from Judah and that there is this need or plan that the G Gentiles were always going to be integrated into the, the, the line, that it wasn't going to be a side thought. It was going to be a primary thing that was going on. So with Matthew 1, we see the Gentile women being included into the genealogy. And then in Matthew 2, the first people that you really run across that are coming to see Jesus are Gentiles. And again, it ties this idea in that the, the Gentiles weren't just a, a secondary thought. They were always there. There was always the plan. So then we go back. Let's think again about son of Abraham. Well, who is the son of Abraham? Well, that's Isaac, the child of promise. You know, so he is a Christ type in the fact that he sacrificed by his father. Um, and then again, you see this child of promise who was awaited for a long time. And that, that child of promise reminds us of a, a promise that was had come even before that. That child of promise is for the snake crusher, you know, the seed of a woman. And so then, oh, I start to see what Matthew's doing here. He's, he's weaving in women, not just anyone, but women to remind us again of this idea, the fact that the, the seed was promised through a woman and that this was going to be that child of promise we've been looking for, we've been hoping for, that snake crusher who will finally really conquer darkness. So Matthew is pointing us to all these facts about this woman and even more that we just don't have time to dive into today. So we start to notice these Genesis themes that have already been started to coming out just in genealogies. So you get the Abrahamic covenant. Gentiles were always part of the plan. You get Genesis 3, seed of a woman. There are other echoes that we just won't spend too much time on, but we'll at least notice. Joseph the dreamer bringing his family to Egypt to protect them. Wow, that sounds awful familiar from Genesis. You've got Herod killing the, the children under two years of age. Again, echoing very much someone that we recognize. Oh, that's Pharaoh. Um, and then, you know, Joseph bringing his family back out of Egypt. Uh, to mimicking or echoing another time of seeing Exodus occurring. So are there other echoes that we should be seeing? You know, so we saw some uh, later Genesis echoes. We saw all the way out to Genesis three. What about even earlier into Genesis? What about Eden? Um, Eden, let's remind ourselves of Eden, what it is. Eden's the place where God's space and our space overlap. Well, oh yeah, there's other places that are like that, right? That's the tabernacle and the temple. And, and again, just to sort of tie it all in here, we've got garden imagery. If you look at the descriptions of the tabernacle and temple, you've got this garden imagery all inside of it. Again, reminding us of this place where 
God's space and our space overlap that was there even at the very beginning in Eden. Well, okay, so we've got this idea. We're looking for Eden. What are, where should we go from here? Well, before we go anywhere else, let's look at the gifts of the wise men. You've got gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Well, that's interesting. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And you've probably heard lots of sermons on how gold has certain significance, frankincense, other, and myrrh, you know, another one. And, and so people will break them out and draw out amazing and interesting ideas. Nothing wrong with those. I think, though, it just misses the deeper point. The deeper point is there's a spot where all three of these are connected. And when you're reading the Bible, that's really an important thing to do. So when you're reading and you run across, say, a new idea or a new combination of ideas you've never noticed before, you should look for previous times when those ideas occurred together or those places occurred together or those things occurred together. And when you do that, that can help to explain or give deeper insight in how things are gone. So in this case, we're looking for gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So if you're looking for a, a verse or a chapter that has to do with gold, frankincense, and myrrh, one of the top ones you're going to run across is Isaiah 60, verse 6. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come down. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. Ah, look at that. We've got two of the three. And if you understand where Isaiah 60 lands in sort of the overall scope of Isaiah, it's it's for that future hope of Israel. And so there's some really interesting things that should be able to be drawn out about how golden frankincense would tie into the Messiah's birth. That's not where we're going to go today because we're looking for a place where we have all three, not just two of the three. So. If you continue to look, there's not going to be a chapter or a verse where you find all three together. So what are you going to do with all three of these? Well, let's think about it slightly different. What if instead of looking for a verse or a chapter, is there a location in that time period where you would expect these all three to be found? And there is. There is. There, there's the tabernacle and the temple. Myrrh is the anointing oil for different parts of the tabernacle and the priests. So it's it's there for anointing oil for different things. And so used sort of throughout the whole, whole area. Frankincense is used as a grain offering. And it's also used as in the incense, in the altar of incense. Gold is integrated throughout. Again, it's in the priest's garments. It's throughout multiple different sort of objects through the whole tabernacle and temple. So we've got all three of these together in one location. What, how, how do we connect this to the gifts of the wise men? Well, if we see Jesus as the temple builder, he's that one who's, who's going to build a new temple. These gifts are construction materials, if you will, for building that new temple. And so we know that that's true, right? Jesus is, is, is building a new temple, and Matthew is already starting to signal that idea long before we would normally think that he were, were ready to expect that. Wise men, you know, they've been guided to Jesus, deliver the, you know, bring these gifts. But then when they leave, they're, they're, um, they're given a vision, uh, a dream that shows, hey, we should go a different direction. Don't go back to Herod. And the implications for that are that they've already been taking, sort of experiencing the fact that the temple is already open for use. 
it's not something that will be ready. It's already ready. There's already this God space and our space overlapping and the temple's already built and being going to be built more and more. So Jesus is going to build a temple with living stones, us, and God's space and our space a lot more and more on this earth as his kingdom grows, as those who follow him, you know, become more and more and grow and grow, the temple spreads and covers the whole earth. And it's growing Eden to cover the whole earth. So let's recap on sort of what we've seen today, this morning. Um, So we'll notice that there are some patterns in the genealogies, and then there are breaks in those patterns. And as we read those, that should help us to gather insight and understanding into what the author is trying to communicate to us more than just a list of people. Another thing that we've drawn out this morning is, is that if you're trying to understand one passage, you should look for parallel passages where the same type of ideas or things, objects occur, and that that should help you to gain a deeper understanding of what this time should have for significance. So Jesus is he who was promised from the beginning to conquer the forces of darkness. He will be a blessing to the Gentiles and to all nations, not just to Israel, but to all nations. It was always part of the plan. That was the way it was going to be. And we are part of that living temple that is growing to cover the earth more and more every day.